This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial, a true crime podcast. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. Okay, so we've got another one this week that I'm excited for. Okay. Because we talk a lot about trying to get someone from this field. I think our listeners are going to be excited. It's a specialty that kind of comes up a lot in true crime cases. And I think it's sometimes confusing to like understand the limitations and restrictions. But let me just tell you who we're talking to. That was a really long pause. I guess it was (laughs) suspense, right? But you know. We've got Charles. Charles is joining us, who is a digital forensic examiner. So computers and cell phones. Oh, okay. Right? And I feel like that's something that, like, always comes up. And, of course, my head automatically goes to Adnan's case. Yeah. And Serial. Shout out to Serial. I love your podcast. Oh, love it. And I feel like, you know, the timeline in that case was super important and built a lot around the cell phones. You know, like in that case, they couldn't figure out, like, they couldn't use that really. Yeah. And like, I guess I don't understand how that works because like, do you, I don't know if your phone does, I hope your phone does this, but sometimes when I get in my car, like my phone will like bing and be like 14 minutes to softball or whatever. Like somewhere that I drive all the time, like my phone will automatically register that like I'm in the car and I'm potentially going there. So it's like, I feel like it's constantly tracking me. Right. So it's like, I guess I don't understand a, how the cell phone technology isn't that reliable. I don't know. I guess I'm just confused because like, I know there's like, oh, if it pings that tower, that's not necessarily your location, but the phone itself, how does it not know? I don't get it either because I feel like you would have a clear cut. This is where the person is. Maybe I just don't understand the whole cell phone towers. So maybe that's the problem is I just don't understand it. I don't. So Charles hopefully can clear that up. And then you have the other issues of like the computers, right? And so it's like, how much, cause like, okay, so this was in the news not too long ago, but like Gabby Petito and they took, um, his parents' computers from their house. So it's like, what kind of stuff are they hoping to find on there and how far back can you pull off of a computer? Like, I know it's always like that, like mystical, like saying like, oh, it's never gone. It's always recoverable. But I tell you what, I've lost Google Docs that I swear to God, I can't recover. So yeah, like you deleted and it's deleted, but I have heard that it's not deleted. Right. That it lives on forever somewhere. But then what if you smash your computer and like your hard drive? Is that ever recoverable? I don't I see in my head. Absolutely not. But maybe, maybe so. Because maybe it's in the cloud now because now we have like a cloud situation. Yeah. And can they access that? Like it's not physically on the computer. It's like in the the air, in the like web space. So like, do they have the ability to like legally go in and go through that? Like, yeah. Where do the lines stop and start? So, yeah, I feel like there's just so many layers Mm -hmm. to this particular world that. Hopefully he can help us like kind of peel back and like understand better. This is where this person was at 1201. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I feel like it should be like a very simple, like, let's just look at their, their tracker on their phone. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I just feel like it's an interesting thing. And then you have like, um, I don't know if you guys use them, but Will and I like the Apple tiles. Have you, do you guys use it? They're Mm -hmm. like these little things that like, um, 
I have them on my keys, like a keychain. Yeah. So then if you like lose your keys, you can track the little Apple tracker. Oh no. It's have like you a met tile. Ryan? No, no. Well, fair. No, no. Yeah. But I've actually been reading about like people that have like putting them, putting them in their kids' pockets and stuff when they really? go on like field trips and things. Cause it's just this tiny little square and yeah. But I've also heard some horrible stories about like creepers that like drop them in women's purses and stuff. What? Um, yeah. So I don't know. Again, that's another weird thing that I wonder if Charles will have time to walk us through. Cause I'm curious about like how that stuff works. Yeah. Too, but no, we don't um, even have an Alexa. Remember we don't do that. Ryan is. Oh, that's right. You guys Ryan. are kind of like shut down like Fort Knox. Semi off grid. A little bit. No. So do not gift us with a Alexa. Cause he will not be. It. it will be getting returned. Oh God. <laughs> he's just, he's living off the grid. Yeah. No one needs to know where he is. No, but because, I really think he's yeah. probably not living off the grid. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know it yet, but also he's not like helping. Like he's not like adding to the grid. He's not adding to it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so a yeah. Low, low digital footprint. Yeah. He, so he thinks, I wonder actually. So I think this will be a fun one. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to him. I, I think it'll be good. I'm excited. Okay, let's cool. do it. Let's bring him on. Hello? Hey, Charles. It's Mariah. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm going to merge our call just one second. I'm going to get my co-host on with us. Charles, this is Nikki. Nikki is in California. Hi. Nikki Charles oh, is in Texas. We're going, uh, oh, yeah, we're going transcontinental here. We really are. You do, your official title is what, Charles? I know you're in digital forensics, but what is like your official title? Uh, detective. I also hold the title of digital forensic examiner. So our detectives, they say, I need this. Text messages, call logs, uh, anything that, you know, any photos that may be pertinent to the crime, et cetera, et cetera. We try to go through and do that and then provide it back. I am the senior digital forensic examiner at the Austin Police Department, uh, which means I've been in the unit the longest. And how long is that? I've been in the unit for 13 years. When I started, I was uh, a cyber investigator. So I investigated computer breaches and people hacking into each other's email accounts and then transitioned over to being a forensic examiner as people retired out of the unit. Because usually when we come to this unit, we stay in this unit. We don't go back and work another part of the police department or go back to patrol. Because we get so highly trained and specialized, they prefer us to stay, number one, but it's usually a passion. They say there's a crime and there's a computer there or a camera system or something, then you would be able to access that, anything digital, cell phones, that sort of stuff. Correct. Okay. So anything that comes in a digital format, laptops, tablets, we do examine uh, video systems, DVR systems, security footage from a convenience store or uh, a home security uh, system that happens to capture, you know, a suspect or yeah. some sort of crime. If it is stored digitally, that's our job to get it off. Okay. Digital forensics, is that like bank fraud, that type of stuff? Is that like what you kind of do? So we are just like the DNA lab or the blood lab, except for we do, we deal with digital evidence. We support all of the other investigative units at the police department. So let's say homicide uh, has a murder and they 
locate the victim's cell phone and they don't know who the suspect is or they're looking to get additional evidence for that, they'll bring us the cell phone and we get the data off, uh, usually in a forensic manner so that it could be presented in court uh, and then provide it to the detective and they go from there. We do have one investigator in our unit that still does the cyber stuff like when someone's Facebook gets hacked or their email accounts hacked all the way up to, you know, corporate hacks. Generally, when you get into the big hacks, corporations, that will be handled by the FBI. But we still provide that service. I haven't done that in a few years. For six and a half of my 13 years here, I was assigned on the FBI Cyber Task Force here in Austin. So I spent six and a half years with the Bureau investigating federal cases, as well as still doing digital forensics. When you guys decide to take a cell phone, what exactly can you guys recover? Because like in television, it seems like they can get everything. You can get an exact like geolocation. You can see their exact outgoing, ingoing phone calls. I guess where does the line between the reality of your job and like the fictionalized part of your job go? I would say the reality is that what you actually see on the TV shows as far as what we can get from a phone or from a piece of digital media is pretty spot on. They stay pretty true to that. What they have to condense down into a 30 minute or an hour episode is how long it takes to get that data. To go back to the beginning part of your question, it really depends. It's funny. We we say that we should have a sign up in the unit or on the door that that just says it depends because (laughs) that's what we tell everybody all the time. It depends on the kind of phone. It depends on the software on that phone. Is it an Android device? Is it an iOS device? There's a whole variety of factors that go into whether or not we can get any, some, or all of the data off the phone. I would say that, yes, uh, if I can get into the phone, then I will get call logs, text messages, social media messages or direct messages. And oftentimes, in almost all cases, we will get deleted messages. There's a caveat to that. If I, so just like when a file gets deleted on a computer. So Mm -hmm. when you hit delete on a file on your desktop, it doesn't actually do anything to the data except for mark it as deleted. So you don't see it on your computer, but it's still there. And it's marked as free space. So if the computer or the device wants to save something there, it can. But there's a lot of places it can do that. So the chances of it picking that specific spot to to save over what was there before is very small to begin with. And as time goes on, the chances get much higher that it will get overwritten. It works the same way for text messages uh, or other messages in, in third-party apps. If I get the device relatively soon after that message was deleted, there's a really good chance that I'm going to get it if I can get into the into the device. How far back can you go? Can you go months, years? It really depends. <laughs> <laughs> like depends. your sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Depends on how, how much the device is used. Um, so if you're a you know 20-something college student, all you do is use that phone and text and send messages and uh, go online, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The things that are going to get overwritten will get overwritten much sooner mm-hmm. than, say, 
you know, someone that's 75 years old that uses their phone very little, those deleted messages will be there much longer because the the phone doesn't have to go back and, and overwrite something. It can use any other part of the space on the phone. What about burner phones? Huh. So we run into burner phones a lot. Obviously, they were they're very popular in the drug trafficking trade. Yeah. They're very popular in uh, many of the criminal aspects of life, especially now because it used to be burner phones were little flip phones, you know, the old phones yeah. we used to have, Nokia's. Like the Sopranos. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but now Android phones um, and even, you know, some models of, of iPhones are relatively inexpensive. The reason that we see criminals moving to using those as burners is even if you don't have service on one of those, oftentimes you're close enough to a, a Wi-Fi hotspot that you can use it and uh, you can use apps that are designed to quote unquote be encrypted. So they think the government can't eavesdrop on their WhatsApp conversations or their signal conversations or their telegram messages, that kind of thing. And, and while that is in, in general pretty true in our unit, we don't worry about the data that goes over, you know, over the air because we're dealing with the data that's on the phone itself hmm. or on the device itself. There are a lot of apps that will encrypt your conversations or messages over the air or over the wire. But once they're on your phone, they're not encrypted. So when I go get the data off the phone, I, I can read those messages just like any other message. There are very few apps that actually encrypt the data on the phone itself. Okay. Um, and in most, in most cases, we have found ways to decrypt that. Do you have to get permission like the Boston bomber or whatever, something about getting into the iPhone. Apple wasn't going to give them the password or something like that. That's typically referred to as as the FBI versus Apple uh, situation that happened in San Bernardino, California. Um, it was the terrorist attack. The thing was, is that technically Apple holds the keys to all the encryption. They write the software that runs your phone. And they make sure that it's very difficult to hack into because they they use what's called a digital key or multiple keys to sign the software. And if it doesn't get signed, then it won't run on your phone. They could technically push a signed version of uh, the operating system, iOS, onto a phone that has a backdoor built into it. They hold the keys so they could sign it. So there, that was the whole situation there. As far as our lawful access to a device... The Supreme Court was very, very clear. There was a court case out of California, as a matter of fact, called Riley v. California. No relation to me. <laughs> the Supreme Court ultimately ruled outside a very, very, very limited set of circumstances, which they couldn't even really think of when they made the ruling. You either have to have consent of the owner of the device or a search warrant. Okay. Let's say I see you commit a crime in front of me. You're walking down the street, you do something, and I arrest you. I can search you, your person, incidental to that arrest. And that, that's lawfully been uh, upheld by the Supreme Court in multiple cases. What we had was situations where it was unclear whether or not, if I arrested you, can I look at your phone because it was on your person? It's kind of like having a backpack with a lock. Mm -hmm. Let's say I arrest you and you have a backpack on and it's locked. Can I go into the backpack? I can. 
What the Supreme Court said was, it's not that we can't go into someone's phone. We just have to treat it like a house. I either have to get permission from you, or I have to go talk to a judge and get a search warrant issued Mm -hmm. to get in there. So I have to demonstrate probable cause that there's information or data on that phone that relates to a crime that I know occurred. That's the only exceptions um, under the Fourth Amendment against illegal search and seizure that they have said it's okay. Now, they left open extreme circumstances. Let's say a child has been kidnapped and the person who kidnapped that phone or that kid dropped their phone. It would take me hours to go prepare the search warrant, go to the judge, present it to the judge, and the judge issue it to me. And we don't have hours. We believe that that child is in immediate danger. And that phone can tell you everything, right? Like where they live or like things like that. Not where they live because it's not like most criminals type in their address and their phone, but like... You'd be surprised. Most phones (laughs) are always recording where they are. Is used for a, a variety of reasons, mostly advertising. So they want to know where you are so that the apps that have ads on your phone can can present ads that are more relevant to you. Oh, that's why they um, do that. But the phone itself is constantly recording where it is. Even in the case where you turn off location uh, in the settings, there are uh-huh. times that it still is recording where it is. It's just not using GPS to do it. Do y'all have iPhones or Android phones? I have iPhone. I have an iPhone. And it'll pop up like... If I want to, sometimes like if I want to join a network or something like that. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. It's constantly looking for open networks. And it's also constantly looking for the networks that you previously joined. And so as it does that, it's basically looking at everything that's out there broadcasting. Well, if you have enough of that data, then you can say where someone is. That's what Google got in trouble for doing um, a few years ago when they they had their Google Maps cars out there, you know, Street View cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In those cars, at the, at the same time they were recording the streets, they were scanning Wi-Fi and collecting the, all of that data about where those hotspots were. And Dang. they created a giant database. Each one of those Wi-Fi hotspots actually broadcasts what's, what's called a BSSID. It's a unique identifier. It's not you know the name of the Wi-Fi that you would hook up to, but it's, it's a unique identifier. So... They compiled all of this information from all of their Google Street View cars out there that's now available to cross-reference because it's out there. Um, They're not the only company to do that. So I disclaimer, I'm not trying to blame Google for all all the woes uh, of the world, but it's called war driving, basically. And it's very similar to back in the early 90s and late 80s. People would use computers to just call every phone number possible, figure out which one of those are computers. And then report back, okay, these are all computers so that you know which ones to go back and try to get into. It's called war driving. So even if you turn off location, there's a pretty good chance that we can get some locationable data off of the phone. We can identify generally where you are. If Does the phone have to be on for that? Just to bring it into like a real life situation. Like a real life situation, like um, Gabby Petito. So like in that circumstance, I imagine that her phone had been turned off. How much in terms of location would they be able to pull off of that, if anything? So feasibly in that kind of scenario, none. Why is that? Well, when you turn the phone off, it turns off. Or if it dies, it loses, loses battery, it turns off. Okay. I say that with a caveat because now... With iPhones, 
uh, of a certain model and up, they have this find my network Mm -hmm. that's going on and your phone when it's on or even when it's off will occasionally broadcast itself in a, a unique identifier that no one can trace back to you. If then you lose your phone or for some reason you're looking for your phone and you report it as lost on iCloud, even if your phone is not connected to the network, you know, no Wi-Fi, they took the SIM card out, so it can't connect to the, the mobile network. If it gets within range of another Apple device, it will broadcast its signal. And then that device, it hears it and goes, oh, let me let Apple know I see this device. Then Apple says, oh, that's a missing phone. And then notifies the owner that it's been located. Now, that's not GPS. That's not like hyper accurate. But you would know generally where it is. and so. Yes, even when the phone is off, it does that. In the scenario of Gabby Petito, I, I just don't think that it would have worked, especially because her last known location was so remote yeah. that it's not going to have you know this network of Apple devices rolling around at the right time that the device pings off, that kind of stuff. Now, if she left her phone in the van, they knew where the van was. If he'd have thrown the phone out the window, you know, somewhere between... Florida and Utah, there's always a chance, but probably not. You can think of Bluetooth being 30, 33 feet. That's as far as your signal's going to go. So like on Gabby's phone, then it would throw out a ping maybe once after her phone got turned off, maybe if she had those settings enabled? Yes, if she had that enabled. This is relatively new, okay. both for iPhone and for iPads, but essentially... Everything is using it. AirPods have this built in, AirPod Pros. And so anything that you can find, watches, correct. Um, and then their new tags, I guess they're called AirTags, can also report all of that. Yeah, we have those on our keys. And I think my husband has one in his wallet, actually. And it, there's a whole thing about that now because people started using them to track other people and stalk them. Yeah, I read an article about that. Yeah. If a device that's not on your Apple ID, is seen by your phone or one of your devices for an extended period of time, like it, it's following you around town, it'll pop up and say, just let you know, uh, an unknown um, AirTag or an unknown device is following you around. There's, there's that kind of thing. So to go back to your original question, what Apple has said, because they don't want this Find My Network to be used uh, or abused by law enforcement or anyone for that matter, the only person that can see the location is the owner of the iCloud account. They actually have to log into their account to see it. Apple can't even see the location. So it's encrypted as it sits on, on Apple servers and it only decrypts when you log in. So uh, we can't force Apple to tell us where a device is. We would have to have authorization to go into Gabby Petito's iCloud account. Is that hard to get authorization for that? So when someone's missing, it's kind of weird. This is why missing person cases uh, can can go bad, you know, very quickly because there's nothing against the law or nothing in the law that says you can't go disappear if you want. That's not illegal. You know, it might be illegal if you don't pay your bills and whatever, but that's all, sure. you know, a civil matter. But it's not illegal for you to, to leave and not tell anyone where you go. So we have to go for so long or have other information that says this is suspicious to the point where we can either get a search warrant because we can't say that she's dead 
owner being deceased is uh, basically they don't have an expectation of privacy any longer. But until we know that they are deceased, they still have an expectation of privacy under the Fourth Amendment. So we have to probably get a search warrant unless somebody else is on that iCloud account also. So like if my wife went missing, she has her own iCloud account. I technically can't get into it. And so I couldn't really give authorization to law enforcement to get into it. What if you know the password? Just because I know the password doesn't mean I have the right or authority to go into the account. This is something that we run into quite a bit. What about people that have like a shared account? I mean, they really trying to like drive me crazy in real life that like people that share like Facebook accounts <laughs> and like Instagrams, but like if right, they the have, shared Instagram. Yeah. Yes. But if they have like a shared account like that, <laughs> could I then give access if like my husband was missing to be like, oh yeah, go ahead and get into that? Yes, you could. Another interesting part of location. So there's a way that you can send a court order to the cell phone providers and say, I need you to look at this set of towers, your cell phone towers, and I need you to look at this completely separate set of cell phone towers at this time and this time and tell me which devices were seen by both. What they call geofence warrants, where you send them a geofence, so a geographic area, and say, I need you to look at all your towers here on you know, January 1st at noon and then all your towers in this second location on january 3rd at 5 p.m and tell me which devices were seen by both those sets of towers because one of those devices that is seen by the by the towers is going to be my suspect you know so let's say i have a bank robbery in west austin and then a bank robbery in east austin on two separate days Mm -hmm. and they're geographically pretty distant um, more than about three or four miles then I can send a court order to T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon and say, that's what I want. For that day and this day, I need all the common devices that were seen in those areas. I have a clarifying question, Charles. In another case, um, Adnan Saeed, they had you know, relied heavily on the cell phone tower pings to like potentially place him in the Mm -hmm. park, right? So like AT&T had said that the outgoing calls were the only ones that were reliable for location. Why would only one direction of the call logs be accurate? So I don't know the specifics there, and I am not an expert in uh, cell tower technology, but those were several years ago. Yeah. That case was what, 2016? Um, no, um, I think it was even, I think it was 99. I think it was like 99. I have some basic training in cell tower and cell tower pings. Um, and I don't think that is the case any longer. Okay. Um, it may have been the technology used back then. I mean, we're talking about original GSM and TDMA kind of cell phone technology back then, which is going to be, you know, like dial up modems. Uh, are to our cable modems or our fiber internet is now. It, it's just a completely different way of communicating or, or sending signals. So kind of going back to what you asked earlier about the, the CSI effect, the CSI effect is out there. So we do have maybe a family member of a victim or victims themselves. They think that we can just plug a cord into their phone and get what we need and only what we need, then it, it'll take about five or 10 minutes. 
And it's just not true. The volume of data that are on phones these days is one of the hurdles. The other thing is getting it forensically so that I can go to court and testify that nothing I did changed any of this data. That often is very difficult, especially on consent type searches where let's say a victim wants us to get this thread of text messages between her and the suspect, but she doesn't want us to get any of the photos or videos on her phone. That's very difficult for us to do forensically. And so we have to discuss that with them and let them know, look, we're not interested. We're not, you know, we just have to do this forensically so that we can get this admitted at court. But oftentimes people have embarrassing photos and videos and or videos, you know, on their phone that they don't want anyone else to have. And we mm-hmm. totally understand that. I mean, we're, we're just people that, you know, put our pants on one leg at a time like everyone else. But at the same time, we have a job to do. So it's the back and forth. But the CSI effect comes into play when they think we can instantly ping a phone, which we don't actually do in this <laughs> unit. That's outside our purview. A parent will call saying their daughter is, their adult daughter is not answering the phone. Can't you just ping her cell phone? Aww. Technically, yes, we can. Um, but legally, no, we cannot. In the state of Texas, they've really locked it down to where there is a set number of people at our agency that can authorize that. And they have to go through specialized training. How come? Just like any kind of technology, it starts to get used probably more broadly than it should. Mm. Until someone says, these are the rules, clearly and explicitly, when you can do this and when you can't. Let's say a parent calls us and says, my son is suicidal. He just got laid off from his job um, and he hasn't answered the phone in 12 hours. And that's unusual for him. That's not enough for me to think that he committed suicide or is going to commit suicide. But in some scenarios, when you add just one or two little pieces of information, like on Facebook, uh, you know, he vague booked, I don't want to be here anymore or something like that. Okay, well, then maybe I can go ahead and ping, ping the phone. And so you had people pinging phones and getting location. When, when I say ping a phone, that, that gets a pretty precise uh, location for that device, you know, 300 yards or so. And if you continue to ping, you can actually get closer. The state of Texas got very strict about that so that it didn't get abused by law enforcement or anyone else. And so there are specific people that we have to contact to justify that. Just like uh, Amber Alerts, I cannot, as just Joe Blow cop, uh, issue an Amber Alert. Is that because of the same thing where you it was used so much? If you issue too many Amber Alerts, then people ignore them, which is the argument against now we have silver alerts and we have blue alerts. There's these clear alerts. There's all these different alerts now yeah. that come across on your phone, regardless of whether you want them or not. That's their argument against that is you start sending out all these alerts. No one will pay attention to them. They'll just hit the button, shut their phone up and continue on without even reading it. Yeah. And, and so you keep it finely controlled, uh, not so that it's so difficult no one does it, just that it doesn't get overused and become a completely ineffective tool because it's a very effective tool. But as far as the real world of our job, we're having to manually, anal- manually analyze, really dig into the, da- the databases or you know, digging into hexadecimal code, trying to find the data that we need. Hypothetically, if there was a case where we had a traveler suspect, which means they came from somewhere else to commit a crime and then returned back. Mm-hmm. Um, in this specific scenario, they used Waze, the app Waze, to navigate. Uh-huh. 
but they put their phone in airplane mode. And so they believed that it wouldn't record their locations or anything like that. It would just show them the map. Because when you mm. put your phone in airplane mode, the GPS is still on. You're still getting GPS data. So you can follow along on the map. I didn't even know what um, airplane mode does. I just, I just know it turns something off. <laughs> <laughs> airplane mode turns off the cellular radio. So when you activate airplane mode, which is a requirement of federal law, every phone has to have airplane mode, it turns off that cellular radio. So ultimately, we found this person and we got their phone. And so I, I started looking in the Waze data. I saw in the logs how Waze was recording everything that they were doing. Wow. Um, and Waze at the time was not one of those apps that our tools, our software uh, automatically parsed. It would get some of the data in there and just present it to us, but it wouldn't do logs. Hmm. So I started reading thousands of lines of logs, figuring out what did this person type in the search bar in order to navigate here. I mean, it was down to the letter. I could see each letter the person put in, uh, in the logs and I analyzed. And then, um, I was able to precisely determine where this person turned their airplane mode off and all of a sudden now showed up with, you know, actual location data. They were now back on the network and provide that to investigators and they could go obtain video. Sometimes the detective doesn't know what they want. The biggest thing that we ran into um, years ago when other messaging apps started coming out, Facebook Messenger or Telegram or TextNow, mm-hmm. you know, those, those like throw down burner phone number apps. <laughs> You know, they would ask for text messages. Do you mean literally text messages or are you also meaning like instant messages and, you know, chats and DMs and all that kind of stuff? And it got very muddy. So we're constantly having to train our detectives on what we can and can't get, when we can and can't get it. And there's a high turnover in investigation. In certain units, it's, it's high burnout, homicide, robbery, aggravated assault. Those, I mean, they're going, going, going. We then have to retrain a whole new cadre of people as turnover happens. But it is very rewarding. I am one of those people that I like to find that evidence that other people don't. I can't remember in any case the smoking gun. I never found like the smoking gun, like a picture of a smoking gun (laughs) on on the phone. Um, But what we do is find, so almost all evidence is circumstantial, right? Unless Mm -hmm. you have video um, that's clear as day that shows somebody commit a crime. It's all circumstantial. It's all what tends to make us believe beyond a reasonable doubt that this person commit, committed this crime. I like my evidence that I provide to be the least circumstantial evidence possible that it's almost the smoking gun. Mm-hmm. I was able to show that somebody was somewhere taking pictures where they shouldn't have and then deleted those pictures, which we can't recover. But I could show that they took pictures and then within a couple of hours deleted those pictures. Mm. I couldn't give a precise time, but it was a couple of hour window. And I could say that those photos were taken during the time frame the crime is committed and then subsequently deleted a few hours later. I couldn't provide the photos. I couldn't provide what those photos actually had in them. But based on the other information that was reported, that gap was enough to uh, send him to jail. Without those two things, would he 
been able to not go to jail? It would have been a lot of he said, he said kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and so would you necessarily get a conviction or would you even take that one to trial? I don't know. I'm not a prosecutor, not yeah. an attorney. Uh, don't want to be one. But <laughs> at the same time, given that information, the investigator was like, yeah, I was able to immediately go get a warrant and uh, get that person arrested. Do you have to go to court a lot? You would think it would be more because of the number of devices that we do. Uh, I do have to go to court. I would say not nearly as much as, say, like one of our DWI enforcement uh, officers. I do have to go to court a fair amount. The good thing about getting forensically obtained data is that it can stand on its own in court. Um, and that comes from the federal rules of evidence. But sometimes they want me to interpret that data. Or defense attorneys are getting a lot more um, savvy with how we get data off of phones. So they like to call us in and challenge us, especially when it comes to computers. Phones, mm. they're a lot easier to deal with. A computer can do so many things. It, it's different. You know, let's say you live with three or four roommates or you have a family at home and everybody has access to the computer. How do mm. I say that you did that? It's a lot more ambiguous as far as how our how well we can be certain about a conclusion, whereas it's a little bit easier on a phone. Now, is this something you've always wanted to do? Were you always good at like technology and all that stuff? I've been a geek since <laughs> since day one. I've been a geek. My first computer was when I was seven, so that was 83. Okay. Um, and that was a Texas Instruments TI-99 4A, which was one of those that you plugged into your TV. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> it was almost like a, a gaming system, but you could actually program on it also. I remember the Oregon Trail on computers. Oh, and yes. <laughs> That's available for your phone now. Uh, I've always been a geek. Uh, before I joined the police department, I was a web developer at Dell Computers doing internal web development. People always said I would end up in this unit um, <laughs> when I was going to the academy and stuff. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I already have the geek side of me. I, I want to experience the rest of the department. So I was on patrol for five and a half years. When I first promoted uh, to detective, I went to work in our family violence unit. And then a spot opened up over here uh, in this unit. And I was asked if I wanted to come over and apply. Started in November of 2008. And I've been here ever since. I, I wouldn't say that I grew up wanting to be a digital forensic examiner, <laughs> um, but it's kind of the best of both worlds when it comes to forensic science and being a cop. One of the things that I was reading about a couple months ago, I have an 11 year old little boy and, you know, they do all these games and they're online and, you know, so you're trying to understand like how to protect them, you know, with all their platforms and his cell phone and all these things. And, you know, one of the, the apps that all the kids use to communicate is Snapchat. It most recently was linked to Jerry Harris, which is, um, kind of like a reality network, uh, Netflix star. Um, but he basically was sending inappropriate messages to minors through the platform because I'm sure you're familiar. It deletes the videos and messages mm -hmm. after they're read. Who's responsible, I guess, for creating technology that would allow you to retrieve that information? Is that something that like the cell phones would have to do? Is that something that like Snapchat would have to do? Like, how is it possible that it just disappears when, you know, you guys can pull deleted 
emails and photos and text messages, how is that completely gone? There's a fine line there, right? Like I heard the argument when I was a kid, when they passed the seatbelt law in Texas, how can they force me to wear a seatbelt? If I want to drive unsafely, I can. And if I get into an accident, not wearing my seatbelt, who is it going to hurt besides me? Why can't I decide to do that? Mm -hmm. And the argument's pretty much the same when it comes to Snapchat or these other disappearing messages. For the greater user base, why should I have to limit that down because of the fringe user base that's abusing this, this ability? At the same time, obviously, I do not want children to be exploited in that way. We do a number of those investigations here. Unfortunately, there are things in my head that I will never, ever, ever unsee. So there's this balancing act. First, I'll say not everything on Snapchat disappears. I'll just say that. People use Snapchat just automatically thinking everything goes away. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just not true. I, I get lots of data from Snapchat, from the app, not by you know getting a search warrant for Snapchat servers or anything. What I would say is Apple came up with this idea in iOS 15 that on your phone, it would look at the photos and videos on your phone and determine to see using, I can get into the, the technical aspects of it, but there's a way to identify files. It's like a fingerprint. It's a mathematical algorithm called a hash value. And there's all these different types of hashes. At its basic level is I can tell you one file from another without ever looking at it, uh, just by running this mathematical calculation on the file itself. Well, obviously, cops around the world, law enforcement around the world have identified tons and tons of child exploitation and child sexual abuse material. And Interpol and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children here in the United States as well as a couple of other organizations work together to take the hash values of those identified CSAM or child sexual abuse material files, and we put it into a database. And that database is only accessible to sworn law enforcement. And it's not the files. It's just those hash values. So I can take those hash values and scan a ton of data looking for those hash values. Every file figures out if it matches my known bad and then can alert somebody. And this happens every day. If you ever use Gmail or Outlook or, or Yahoo, if you've ever attached a photo to an outgoing email, right? So yep. even with super fast internet, you'll see the upload bar go across. And then right at the very end, at like 97%, it'll pause just for a second. Mm -hmm. And then it finishes and attaches it. They are creating a hash value and comparing it to a database of known child sexual abuse wow. material they compare that and they have aol was the first ones to do it in back in the 90s and they scan everything that gets uploaded google does the same thing dropbox is scanning all their files looking for hash values they're not looking at your data they're just hashing your data wow. i can get hash values for any file without ever looking at what's in that file it's kind of like a file's fingerprint the trick there is if i take a photo and i change one pixel in that photo, you wouldn't even notice it. Just one little bitty pixel. It produces a completely different hash value because mm. the data has changed. If you resize a photo or you clip something out or what, what have you, that changes the hash value. So that's the cat and mouse game that we 
we play all the time. I see. Microsoft has been a huge partner in this fight. They have developed some technology called photo DNA, which it's not an exact hash scenario. So we're not comparing exact hashes. What they come up with is a way to look at photos and say, you know what? That photo looks a whole lot like this known photo. So you need to review it and see if it is. Hmm. Okay. And so it kind of flags on this might be rather than this is child sexual abuse material. So going back to what I was saying before, Apple was going to implement this technology directly on your phone. And it was actually going to take it a, a, a step further and maybe even analyze chat messages. Yeah. So let's say the user on the phone is a minor, right? You have their okay. iCloud account set up. Apple yeah. knows how old they are. It may analyze iMessages that come through and say, oh, you know what? That sounds like grooming going on. Uh, and this is a minor child. And so it would alert. And so they were actually going to start introducing some of these features in iOS 15 when it released last uh, September. That'd be amazing. It would be, except for the privacy advocates out there. Don't get me wrong. I am an advocate for keeping the government out of my data. Sure. Uh, believe it or not, because I'm the government, right? Yeah. <laughs> You'll find most cops are that way. Most cops are pretty strict constitutionalists. I don't want my rights violated any more than I'm going to go out and violate someone's rights. The privacy advocate said that, that Apple was looking at your data. And Apple tried to explain that it's just like Siri or some of the other on-device stuff that it's doing never gets sent to Apple. But it, it got overwhelmed in the, they're looking at your photos, they're looking at your, you know, they're, they're automatically going through without your consent. And I don't believe there was a, even an option to turn it off. And there would be an alert that came out of that. God, I would love that. I mean, I wish they would do that and just allow people to consent in because I don't know, as a parent of young kids in this age where they have access to so many things, it's so hard to monitor all of it all the time. Speaking of that, watch out for your burner phones there too. Yeah. Um, that has become something very common now is mm -hmm. that teenagers, because their parents go out and buy a new, new phone or what have you and leave the old one laying around somewhere. Well, they go snatch that up, and now that's their burner phone. They only use it on Wi-Fi, but that's what they use to post a TikTok. So then when the parents come and say, let me see your phone, and they look through the phone, and everything's Looks good. good. Yeah, there's no clean. TikTok. There's no yeah. bikini pics or, you know, worse. So they have throwdown phones, just like criminals do. And so, you know, what to do about that? It, it, it's a wild, wild world, and there's some really bad stuff out there. Um, if it were up to me, uh, I would get my kids a flip phone. Uh, when they're old enough to have a phone yeah, and that'd be it. Otherwise tell them they can have TikTok, but you're going to follow them and um, you're still going to check and make sure that you don't have multiple accounts. If you're going to have social media, it's going to be private. You know, you know, I don't want you on Twitter or you're going to have protected tweets and you're going to have a protected account on IG and uh, I'm going to follow you. I understand about privacy for teenagers, but at the same time, I have to make sure you're safe. Yeah, I would like people to know or to hear that, you know, when people think of law enforcement and they think of police officers, they don't think of the cyber investigators. They don't think of the techie side of law enforcement and criminal investigation. But as far as what I get to do, it's phenomenal. I get to be a cop and I get to be a geek all at the same time every day. Best of both worlds. That's awesome. Thank you so much for 
educating Nikki and I on your job and taking the time, taking so much time to talk to us. All right, I will leave people with this. Be careful of your data because it's not only law enforcement that may get into your data, but there's a number of stories of uh, iCloud accounts or Google accounts being hacked. Be careful of your data. If you're not, it's going to be published on the internet for everyone to see for all time forever. And so we can get the data. If everybody had that idea um, before they you know, decided to do something bad, we'll get the data. Probably ought not do it at all. Those are very wise words. I think that that's a very good way to remind people to make wise decisions. So what'd you think of our friend Charles? I thought he was interesting. I liked it. I always find it like super frustrating if somebody goes missing or like your child's missing. I say child loosely, like maybe they're 20. So, you know, older child is missing that you can't just have them open the phones. I understand like there's a sense of like security and like privacy and if they wanted to go off the grid and yada yada, but Good grief, it's just so frustrating because they have the ability and it's like, no, sorry. I think that's kind of weird. I mean, I guess you're over 18, but if it can help find someone. He said that there's like exceptions to the rule, you know, like if there's a child and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, uh, like I wish that there was just something that you could sign like as a guardian, like, hey, up until the age of. Because like what? They get health insurance on your insurance until they're 25. So I feel like until you're 25 and if I'm paying your phone bill, I should be able to like override your privacy yeah. and be like, open the phone. And I'm not saying like that's for like if I just want to snoop, but I'm saying like if they went missing or something seriously wrong, like I would want to be able to say I give permission. I think so too. But again, it makes sense, I guess, for people's privacies or what have you. But as a parent... I could just see how frustrating that would be. And I've definitely read some cases where parents have tried to get into, you know, the cell phone and have run into a lot of roadblocks with that. So I just wish there was a better workaround for that. But I also think it's interesting. I didn't realize how it's so separate, right? Like he he understands kind of like the phone technology in the phone, but he not quite sure how the towers work. Like that's like a whole different, person that can like look and decipher all of that. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought that was really weird because you think it'd be one in the same. Yeah. It seems like such like a multi-layered field, I guess. And apparently no one's off grid if you have a phone. (laughs) No, never, ever, ever. Which I mean, again, I have an important lesson, you know, that I'll be making sure my middle schooler listens to this episode because everything you do is trackable. Right. Every single thing. Even if you think you deleted it, chances are you didn't. Let's make wise technology decisions. I mean, I guess if you're always on it and you're always using it, like you said, then it'll eventually get deleted. But if you barely use your phone or if you just use it normal, then I mean, chances are it's still on there and like the dark part of your computer. I wish he was like Uncle Charles in my family because it'd be so (laughs) great to be like, I'm going to have Uncle Charles open up that phone, you know? (laughs) Right? Yes. I might just have to ask him if I can use him as a threat against my middle schooler because seriously, (laughs) put some tear in these kids to be responsible. I know because I want to be able to see like deleted text messages. Yes. 
you're you're being sneaky, but I want to be able to be everywhere. I yeah. want to be in the dark shadows of your phone. Totally. Exactly. Such a weird thing. And the thing with the burner phones, that's why kids are scary. They're just using burner phones for social media accounts. Isn't that Who wild? Would have thought? Who would have thought? That is just insane to me. Yeah. I've seen and heard a lot in the hair salon of like just clients and what their kids have been up to and their real account. But then they've got this fake. I don't even think it's a fake account, but it's another, you know, account that they have created that they obviously don't want their parents to see. But yep. it always gets found because one friend's mom will see it on her thing and, and then that mom will call. So those things I feel like are somewhat like there's a trackable in the parent world. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's important for our young listeners. Moms always know. You have eyes everywhere. Eyes and spies everywhere. Well, back in my day, they didn't. Back in your day, your parents weren't having to monitor your social media. I would give anything to parent pre-social media. Like the worst trouble you were going to get on was your like AOL instant messenger that was in the family computer in the kitchen. I didn't even do that. I didn't even do like the instant messenger. I had a pager when I was like, 18, 17 or like senior year of high school. And then that was just so I could call my mom. If she paged me 911 <laughs> emergency <laughs> information. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, how times have changed. And then I would always never call. Like sometimes I call back, but then sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't have 35 cents, you know, like, yes, because you had to yes. go find a payphone. Yeah. Yeah. Those days don't exist anymore. And it's so crazy that as technology evolves, that there's all these different occupations that have to evolve and that have to come out and learn all of these ways to track and extract information. It's insane if you Mm -hmm. really think about the ripple effect that it has. But I like wonder like what my grandkids will have. Like, yeah, is it, are they just going to be able to like hologram their way into like back to the future? But then that's like FaceTime. That's true. It's, it's wild. Yeah. But Charles was lovely and I learned so much from him. And it's such an interesting corner of the digital world. Very interesting. I loved it. Me too. I love him. And I'm going to have to get permission to use him as a threat against my kid. (laughs) I'm going to be sending him a little follow-up note. You could just send a text message that say, hey, your mama said that I might need to look into your phone. You Mm -hmm. better behave. That's, that's, That's all I need. That actually would work pretty good. Right? I'm telling you. They'd be scared. For a minute. That's true. Nobody's smarter than a middle schooler. (laughs) Right? If you ask a middle schooler. Well, he was great. Well, that was a good one. And I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed him. So, awesome. Win-win. Let's do it again next week. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. <laughs>